to Prajna Sparks, a podcast where we listen to a Dharma teaching, contemplate through conversation and song, and engage in guided meditation. In this episode, we delve into the limitations of dualistic mind and learn how every experience can be an opportunity for transformation. Buddhist teachings and practice have a long history of healing. Sutras describe the Buddha as an expertly skilled physician, the Dharma as medicine or treatment, and the practitioner as one who is to be healed. In many ways, historically as well as in the present day, Buddhist meditation techniques of all the various kinds are extremely useful in therapeutic ways alongside more conventional modalities of the modern day, such as psychology, bodywork, or any number of other ways that we seek well-being. In our last episode, we started to look at ways that the Buddha's teachings and practice have something to offer that is unique, and I framed that in the context of healing dualistic mind, seeing things in binary pairs that limits our experience to two dimensions, when there are three and possibly even more to bring into our experience that never register. Healing dualistic mind is one way of developing a healthy foundation, a sense of well-being that is now able to go farther, to welcome more into our experience. We looked at that process of healing through the classic text, The Seven Points for Healing Dualistic Mind, by Kadampa Geshe Chekewa Yeshe Dorje. And in this episode, I'd like to continue looking at how that magnificent text unfolds in the process of continued practice. As we engage this very wholehearted style of practice, it heals our dualistic habit of perceiving things in this binary way. How does it do that? Well, if you look at the maxims, a good number of them are fairly counterintuitive. Others make a lot of sense, but pinpoint ways that humans have a habit of interacting with others, even though we know it's not the best. For example, don't get caught up in backbiting. We all know that talking about others behind their backs is not great. We know it doesn't even necessarily feel great, despite there being a kind of perverse thrill to it sometimes. But we do it anyway. So the maxims have a combination of common sense kinds of advice, such as the one I just mentioned, as well as some that are more counterintuitive or even ones that seem rather opaque at first. In future episodes, we'll explore each of these maxims and get a sense of how it fits in the scheme of healing, transforming, and then ultimately even transcending dualistic mind. To look today at how this transforming works, what is it that's being transformed? Why do we have to change? 
the Kagyu lineage, is very soundly grounded in the Buddha nature teachings. The fact that wherever there is mind, the nature of that mind is enlightened, is Buddha, is awakened. Nevertheless, it is covered over by the kinds of veils that dualistic thinking and the intentions, emotions, and actions arising out of it create. This is really important. There's a lot of talk about growth and development and progress. And if we understand that from the standpoint of something's wrong with me and I need to change, there's a subtle violence towards ourselves. I'm broken and need to be fixed. We are already enlightened by nature. What's being transformed is more our attitude, our perspective. The Buddha nature itself doesn't need to be changed. And in fact, it is impervious to the harm that dualistic mind works on our everyday experience of mind. It's not that Buddha nature was bad and it transforms into something good. Rather, Buddha nature is often likened to the oil in a sesame seed. When you have a bunch of sesame seeds, they look quite dry. They don't look anything like oil. Little balls of solid matter. Of course, when you press them, the oil is extracted. So it's been there all along, but it wasn't visible. You could say the same thing of butter. When you have a vat of milk, plow through that milk all you like and not find butter. But if you churn it, then the butter manifests. The stuff of the butter was always present. The churning brings it forward. This path of Buddhist practice is very much one of bringing forward the nature of mind. How do we do that? We start by healing dualistic mind. In other words, by addressing the harm that having this habit of seeing things dualistically for our entire life and then some has worked on our mind, the habit of continuing to do so. So when we experience a challenge at work, a difficulty with our parents or child, a confrontation with a friend, we have very binary ways of seeing that. This creates stress and tension in our mind and limits our capacity to engage circumstances with the creativity, the knowledge, and the intrinsic caring that is our birthright, part and parcel of our mind, but a nature. To heal that harm, Buddhism has a wide array of practices. For the moment, we're using this text, The Seven Points for Healing Dualistic Mind, by Kadampa Geshe Chekewa Yeshe Dorje. This is one of many texts in what are called the Lojong body of teachings in Tibet. Lojong in Tibetan means first lo, which is intellectual cognitive, or quite simply, dualistic mind, the mind that categorizes, labels, and then insists that that is all there is. It is blind to anything beyond the binary approach that is its habit of engagement with the world. 
Then Zhong means to train, to transform, to tame, to refine, to exercise, and so forth. What happens when you do all that to dualistic mind? You heal it. This is why I call the Lojong healing dualistic mind. We start out by softening the tightness and the harshness that this approach to the world brings to our view and to our inner experience. That's the healing part. This very same practice also works on another level. As we heal dualistic mind, alongside that, as we unfold and lighten up, a transformation is happening. Our perspective is shifting. Now we're not just being lighter with these ways of perceiving things, but things are starting to appear spontaneously with more texture, more dimension. Even if we don't see all of the infinite potentiality in a given situation, this transformation is one that makes us more receptive to the possibility of variations to this circumstance and allows us to perceive far more than the habit of dualistic mind alone allows. Practice both on the cushion and in everyday life of the 59 maxims organized into these seven points for healing dualistic mind is working on the level of healing as we most need it, and it is also working on the level of transforming. Like everything else, there are some things that push our buttons and that dualistic habit more than others. We will need to heal that again and again and again. To think that we can practice for a month or six months or six years and then we're all fine. That may not be the most realistic way to think of it. However, we are changing moment by moment. So the question is, do we change by continuing to run on this wheel of the dualistic mind habit? Or do we engage the Dharma so that practice transforms us aligned with the overarching purpose to unveil our Buddha nature completely, effortlessly, spontaneously? I'm all for the latter. So let's take a look at a couple of the maxims specifically about transforming dualistic mind. Many of them fall under the third of the seven points for healing dualistic mind called turn challenges into opportunities. This itself is transformation. There are other maxims that also relate to this, and in fact, all of the maxims will work a healing, a transformation, and ultimately even a self-transcendence. Depending on where we are ready, where we are able to be adept in the practice, and to what extent we can meet that shift. Let's look at these maxims, six of them, under point three, that are specifically targeting transformation. Maxim 11, when troubles abound, turn adversity into your path to waking up. Maxim 12, 
lay all the blame at the feet of the one and only culprit. Maxim 13. Take in the immense kindness of all beings. Maxim 14. Perceiving confused appearances as enlightened experience is the stronghold of emptiness. Maxim 15. The best approach incorporates four observances. Maxim 16. When you get blindsided, carry whatever hits you right into your practice. All of these maxims are aimed at shifting our perspective, changing the way we encounter experience from one of reactivity to one of responsivity. What these six maxims are doing is saying, let's turn this dualistic mind on its head. Not just healing the damage of the habit of seeing things as black or white, right or wrong, good or bad, hero and victim, and so forth, but actively turning things around so our perspective is encouraged to see what dualistic mind misses. Perhaps when we are going through a particularly difficult patch in life, it's very easy to get discouraged. Depression, discouragement, and a sense of how do I get out of this is one common response to adversity. These maxims are saying, what if these seeming challenges are opportunities? This heals mind on one level because it starts to loosen up and bring more space to this very tight, stressful way of seeing things as only one thing or another. But more than that, the more we do it, the more it transforms our mind. We come to a point where challenges, difficult circumstances, and adversity are arising as opportunities. It's not that they're difficult and challenging and troublesome, and then we tweak something and we say, oh, well, but there's an opportunity there. Even as they arise with qualities that we would have considered troublesome, we now immediately see the gold, the opportunity that has always been there, and yet we overlooked. Can you see how having this attitude with all we encounter will shift our perspective, transforming it into one of welcome, of curiosity, of joy? It allows us to encounter all our experience with a simplicity that comes of being light on our feet, not mired in this or that extreme. In future episodes, we'll be going through these and all the maxims one by one. For now, I'd like to leave you with this sense of what if. I invite you to go through these maxims one by one. I'm including a free ebook of my everyday English rendering of the maxims with some brief notes that I've been posting over in my Instagram page in the episode notes. 
Feel free to download them or any other of the many books translating these maxims and providing commentary. Take a look at them and imagine how healing might it be to have an attitude, a way of experiencing life that naturally responds the way these maxims advise. And further, as we heal in that way, we become more attuned and aligned, not only with the specific maxims, but the entire ethos these maxims describe. How transformative would that be? For example, what if we detoxed our inner fuel and just didn't take in things that were harmful to our mind? What if we did not lie in wait for others ready to pounce on mistakes, errors, resentments that we hold in abeyance until they slip? What if we said nothing of others' failings? What if we consistently were our own best judge? What if we lived knowing that our one true solace is this light heart that comes of recognizing infinite potentiality in everything, and so forth. The beauty of this practice is that it encapsulates, in a very accessible way, a seamless practice that goes from meditation cushion to our everyday life and develops the bodhicitta, awakening mind, in both its immediate aspect, caring, benevolence, delight, equanimity and like, as well as a precise and intricate discernment of shunyata, the emptiness, the true nature of things, not only so that we flourish in this life and even help others to do the same. The misperception that is samsara and the unsatisfying results that spring from that are tragic. It's a wonderful thing to do what we can to improve the situations we and others find ourselves in. But the Buddha's vision is far more than a hopeless and ultimately doomed endeavor to make samsara great again. Through his practice, we not only heal, we transform our experience of all we encounter here and now, and ultimately, even transcend the limitations of dualistic mind, uproot that ignorance of not knowing the true nature that spawns that dualistic mind, and in doing so, free Buddha nature, wise, compassionate, intrepid, and powerful, to manifest without impediment for the benefit of ourselves and all beings, spontaneously, effortlessly, in time out of time. What we are healing and transforming is dualistic mind. I think I need to understand a little bit better what dualistic mind means and 
what we are transforming it into. Could you say a little bit more about that? The sense of transformation being going from one thing to another thing is itself a false binary. Perfect example of how dualistic mind works. Healing, transforming, and also transcending is a paradigm I use to consider the entire arc of the Buddha's teachings. One way of understanding how the Buddha is presenting his path, when you look at things like the four truths of noble beings, the Buddha is telling us, this is how I came to my awakening. This is what I know to be true. And this is what you can do to come to that same awakening. Recognize suffering. Eliminate its origin. Actualize its cessation by relying on the path. And we talked in a previous episode about how that origin of suffering, of dukkha, which is more than just obvious pain. It's any kind of discomfort, lack of fulfillment, that sense we have all the time of things are not quite right. Even when we're happy, something is poised to pull the rug out from under us, that groundlessness. We looked at that origin as tanha, craving, but then we went even deeper and said, well, what's the origin of the origin? Or in other words, the root And that root is usually translated as ignorance. It's literally not knowing, not knowing what, not knowing the nature of things as they are. Describing the nature of things as they are is impossible. It's ineffable. That's the difficulty. How do we go from not knowing the nature of things as they are to directly perceiving the nature of things? One way is to identify that linchpin of the ignorance. What is it that we're not knowing? Not knowing things in fullness and that infinite potentiality, which is how I'd like to talk about shunyata, the emptiness. The way we experience it most intimately is perceiving things in this dualistic way. It starts out with not knowing our own nature not knowing the non-self nature of ourselves, others, and even material things in our environment. Everything we experience lacks an independent, unitary, lasting character. And yet, we perceive them as if they had an independent, unitary, lasting character. Why? That ignorance of the nature of things is at the root of that idea, I, me, the self. As soon as you have that idea, what happens? You, them, others. Right there is a dualism. Stuck in a very limited way. It's kind of like We live in two dimensions, but there's a third dimension everywhere around us that we don't ever engage. So when I speak of dualistic mind, it's one way of connecting more intimately with that experience of misperception that the Buddha has diagnosed and provided a treatment for in his teachings. Does that help? 
Indeed it does. I was thinking about the word dual and how dual is two. And so then I was like, okay, well, are we trying to think about three instead of two? Are we trying to think about infinite instead of two? Are we trying to think about seven points or 59 maxims? Like if it's not two, then what is it? And it sounds like there's some infiniteness of that. Is that right? This is where language starts to slip. Duality is less about binaries of quantity or quality. It's really more about dimensionality, a static, fixed, limited dimension of understanding reality versus an infinite space beyond quantity, beyond quality, beyond dichotomies. When language slips, that precision is inaccessible. Now it's time for poetry. Not one, not two. Enter within and become new. Even those descriptions, is it one, is it two, is it three, is it 59, is it seven, is it, that's already dualistic. I want to pin down that answer and I want it to be permanent. I want it to be one answer and I want it to be independent of anything else. It will stick. That is dualistic mind. The inverse, the opposite of that doesn't even engage in any of those categories. The infiniteness, complete openness, freshness sensitivity, receptivity to experience without needing to label it in any way. Nothing lasts long enough to even give it a label. <laughs> By the time you label it, it's changed. Our habit of perceiving things dualistically self-perpetuates. Our partner is changing right before our eyes, and yet we insist on seeing them in the same way as the one entity that is independent of change. And all of a sudden, something happens and that cracks our life open. We didn't see the change right in front of us. That habit of dualism wants to label that in a static way rather than surf dynamic experience. This is great. The construct that I often think about in these terms and that I teach about is gender. So we often think that gender is just two things. Well, you're, you're either a man or a woman, you're a boy or a girl, but gender is so many different things. There's so many different dimensions to gender. What's your biology and how do you think about yourself and how do you dress and look and dress yourself in various ways? So it's really complex. It's maybe infinite, you know, in terms of the number of genders or, you know, ways of expressing and thinking about it that people could have and be. I think that that's something that that's a little bit concrete in terms of an example of where I've tried to work on how do we sort of take this thing that people see as two and kind of blow that up and say, it's not the way that we've always thought about it. Thanks for laying that out more clearly. I feel like it gives me a much better sense of kind of what we're talking about in terms of dualism and also what we're trying to move toward. Definitely moving towards greater openness. You can actually say that kind of binary situation with anything. 
So for you, the gender question is one that's very topical. It's something you work with a lot. Somebody else might work with hot or cold or good or bad or shame and fame or any number of things. The point of this is whatever you're experiencing in your life, you are experiencing it in a dualistic way. No matter how we try to talk about it, dualism seeps back in. We can say, well, it's not really two. It's more complex than that. You can't really quantify it. It's infinite. I want to have a more concrete understanding of something. All of those things are attempts to pin experience down. That is the realm of dualistic mind. To heal that, this practice of the Lojong, the seven points for healing dualistic mind, turns mind on its head. It introduces a counterintuitive, at first, way of engaging things to loosen some of the tightness around dualistic mind. People are always saying, I want to know what to do in this, that, or the other situation. But we're already starting out from this sense of there's a right and a wrong. Bingo, dualistic mind at work. Then you're stuck. There's this tension of, oh my gosh, if I don't get the right one, then I necessarily have the wrong one. Whereas this is a much more receptive, sensitive, responsive, open space. Paradox of seeming opposites occurring at once is another of the ways that we can hold the sense of something beyond dualistic mind. And when you talk about the violence that dualistic mind does, again, I'm going to go back to this example of gender because I'm like, oh yes, I talk about this all the time. You know, that we're, when we're trying to shove people into these categories that don't really exist, then we do harm to them. And we also do harm to ourselves because we're not allowing that full expansiveness of experience to anybody, including ourselves. If you want to hear me talk about this for 18 minutes, I've got a TEDx talk called Bisexuality and Beyond. But I feel like this makes that understanding of violence. I mean, I know that there are lots of other issues you can do this around, but gender is really helpful for me just because the damage that is done by trying to shove everyone into this binary is so clear to me. So thank you for um, letting me riff on that a little bit. As you say, there are many issues. Any of those issues that are particularly relevant for you are good ways to see the resultant damage that springs from dualistic mind. The violence I'm talking about is more subterranean in a way, working a violence on our mind, on our experience. How? Let's go back to that self-other dichotomy. As soon as we think self, then everything aligned with the self is good and we are attached to it. Everything not aligned with the self is either bad and we have aversion towards it, or it's just something we don't know when we're apathetic about it. Right there, attachment, aversion, apathy are what are called the three root poisons, toxins, or clashes. Why are they poisonous or toxic? They disturb mind's natural state, tranquil yet lucid, clear and bright, expansive and yet focused. That is all things at once. So the violence that I'm talking about, the dualistic mind does, is the constant turbulence of mind out of which we spawn all kinds of ideas, such as gender has to be this, race has to be that, intelligence has to be this, 
cognitive experience has to be that. All those come back to that root source of dichotomy of self and other and the turbulence, the attachment Everything that I agree with is good. The aversion, everything I don't agree with is bad. And everything else I don't even know about, I'm not even interested in. That's where the violence is. That is the root of our turbulence, our pain. There's this concept in psychology called the fundamental attribution error. And what this means is that when there's some kind of problematic behavior that we do, we think, oh, that's just due to some kind of circumstances outside of myself. And when there's a problematic behavior that somebody else is doing, we think, oh my gosh, they're an idiot. Or, you know, that that there's some character flaw that they have. So as you're talking about thinking about the self and having piling on all these positive or forgivable things around it versus the other who were evaluating in these negative ways, I sometimes think about the psychic energy that it takes to do that. The psychic energy that it takes to sort of continue this distortion of ourselves and other people that we're engaged in. And so it sounds like that psychic energy is a little bit more what you're talking about. There's that constant energy it takes to sustain a fiction. There isn't a permanent, unitary, independent self, permanent, unitary, independent other. But we operate as though that were the case. And that itself is reinforcing that turbulence, that violence on mind. And as you say, it takes an immense amount of energy. There's always that sense of something's not quite right here. We know it intuitively. We have that visceral sense of there's something I'm not getting. My experience isn't aligning. And we might describe that in any number of ways, depending on our individual backgrounds and histories and circumstances. But what the seven points for healing dualistic mind say is lay all the blame at the feet of the one and only culprit. What is that one and only culprit? That mistaken idea of self. Why is that the culprit? Because as we say, as soon as we think self, other appears all of the dualism runs out from that. All of it is mistaken. It doesn't line up entirely with that ignorance that is the root of samsara, but it's as good a experiential way of connecting with that as I can think of early on in the practice. What this maxim is saying is, instead of following that narrative of self and other, and all the finger pointing and all the protectiveness and all that psychic energy it takes to preserve that, lay all the blame at that mistaken idea of self and start dismantling that, deconstructing that. You don't have to do anything else. Deconstructing that, dismantling that reveals what is actually present. I could try to explain that to you, but I don't know it very well, (laughs) to say the least. And even if I did, it's beyond words. So the point is, you're left with what's pure, true, in the sense that we talked about in the episode called true. It actually leads to growth, liberation, omniscience. That's great. I was thinking about this word dual, again, in terms of another meaning of dual, which is pistols at 50 paces or whatever, you know, pistols at dawn, the way that problems used to be solved 
I was thinking about this process you were talking about healing, transformation, transcendence. And I was thinking about, okay, well, how do we understand that? Is there a way to understand that is it would relate to a duel? And I thought, you know, I wonder if the healing is you just, you just lower your pistol. You're just not going to fire. And then I thought maybe the transformation, I do all this work on bridging the political divide. And I'm always saying in conflict, there's an opportunity there. There's an opportunity just to understand somebody else's perspective or to connect with somebody. And maybe it's taking that potential conflict. And you were talking about all of these maxims that are about taking opportunities to use that for growth. So I thought, well, maybe then it's doing something different with that situation. Maybe trying to go around to the side of the other person and see things from their perspective. Or maybe there's something that you can do to have dialogue rather than duels to try to resolve whatever that conflict is. And I'm looking forward to finding out what the transcendent piece looks like. But <laughs> I was kind of curious, like as I'm applying it to like a, an actual duel, does that fit at all? The beauty of infinite potentiality is everything can fit. Oh, great. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> that panoramic perspective that takes in not only the immediate sense of what we experience, all of the aspirations we have for human flourishing, but also something grander than that, and something even grander than that brings in so much. So you could say that the dualistic mind, <laughs> the one that's in a duel, is starting to say, well, I'm going to shoot down that idea. I'm going to shoot down that idea. I'm going to shoot down this idea. That's not the point. It's not about going over to the other person's side. As soon as you're going to another person's side, that is a duel and duel at the same time. What this approach of healing is saying is, let go of that grip of the other side and my side. And when you do that, spontaneously, the opportunities come. You don't have to go looking for them. You don't have to create them. The more you do that, the more your healing is shifting towards transforming. It becomes less something that you do, as you were describing, and more something you are. It's an expression of what you are. And eventually, you transcend even that all that pent up energy it takes to buttress misperception can now go to dropping all the veils that prevent Buddha nature from shining forth. Then you've transcended healing and transforming and dualistic and dueling all together. It's a whole. There's no room for binary, tertiary. <laughs> it's complete. And at the same time, is able to engage on the level of simplicity as well as multiplicity. I know you've said that it's very hard to put into words. This is like, and I can see that because I'm like, oh, maybe it's sort of like gender. Maybe it's sort of like a duel. <laughs> You're like, no, more expansive than that. More expansive than that. I'm going to give it one more try. I'm going to try to like fit this into little boxes one more time. And then you can tell me about how it goes beyond that. As I'm thinking about this healing transformation and transcendence, I know that we're working with the Lojong and that there are seven points and there are 59 maxims. So one of the things I was wondering was whether the healing transformation and transcendence map onto those points and maxims in the way, or if they're all doing all of it. 
they're all doing all of it. Anybody's practice is doing all of it. Sometimes it's doing it in very express ways. There are practices that are saying, for example, drop the pistol in the dual example you gave. That's an example of refraining from wrongdoing. It's a healing practice. Or if you know that you have a tendency towards aggression and anger, you refrain from that and you might even apply a remedy or an antidote, a medication, you might say, of loving kindness, affection, so that it counteracts, it neutralizes. This is all a currency that we know about when it comes to health. It's a way of healing. That same issue, let's say aggression, can be addressed expressly in another practice by saying transform that experience of aggression into something else. And there's any number of different instructions. Or there might be an instruction that says transcend the experience altogether by recognizing its essence. When you recognize that essence as infinite potentiality, its seeming solidity as aggression just dissolves. So some practices are very express. They're saying you're doing this, that, or the other thing. Others are much more subtle. And this is one of them. All of the maxims are working on healing, transforming, and transcending. Here's the beauty, exactly the way you are ready to work with it for each and every person. Your mind, your experience, your use of the maxims, everything lines up just right. Well, I hope that the listeners are ready for this because I'm so excited that my planting of the seed in our last episode and imploring you to do one little mini episode per teaching is going to come to fruition. So get ready, everyone. We're going to be doing a daily Lojong practice, right? That's right. This episode will drop on the full moon, December 18th, 2021, beginning on the new moon, January 2nd, 2022. So we give you time to get over all that New Year's festivities. We will start 59 days of healing. Every day, we will examine one of the maxims in chronological order for not very long, 10 or 15 minutes. You can use this as a way to lay a foundation for your practice and have some understanding of each of the maxims. I encourage folks to get a hold of any of the many, many beautiful books on the seven points for healing dualistic mind. Sometimes it's called mind training. Sometimes it's called transforming the mind. And those can also be used as resources. It's always great to look at a different ways of translating and explaining these points. And there'll be information in the resources for that. I've also put together an ebook, which I call Heal, Transform, Transcend, putting together my everyday English rendering of the maxims and brief notes that I posted at Instagram, all in one place, whether you're on Instagram or not. Thank you for creating that resource. This is such a gift that you are offering to all of us, especially if people don't want to scroll through all the Instagram or if you're not on Instagram. I'm looking forward to our 59 days of healing. I am sorry that we will not be doing a song for every one of the maxims. Just don't have that in me right now, but I think that the teachings are going to be great. And I think that the readiness piece, you've been talking to me about readiness for decades and apparently now I'm ready for the maxims, but, but just that we will get 
different things out of it at different points. I know I've done things related to the Lojong at other points in my life, and I'm sure that I will get different things out of it now. And so really, wherever you are, this is a good place to start. This is a practice that I can personally attest you can have with you for the rest of your life. And it always feels fresh. It always feels relevant. And it's always about you and what you're encountering right now. The gift is all mine. I'm so grateful to everyone for giving me the chance to share this unbelievable way of living. This has been Yeshe and Tanya. Next, you'll hear Heather with a song and then Zopa offering a guided meditation with Shivni on Tibetan singing bowls. Thank you for listening. If you have questions, email us at sparks at prajnafire.com. Visit us on the web at prajnafire.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Prajna Sparks. May all beings benefit. There's a sad dualistic mind that's longing to heal, to transform and transcend too. And there's 59 slogans that can help with that task in seven points of the Evaluate your
joining again for another meditation. Today we'll begin our meditation at our usual starting point, our bodies, our felt sense in this moment, in this space and time. So just begin by letting go of the storylines of our many thoughts, whatever has been going on for us in our day, in this moment, and just allow yourself to settle into your space, into your seat, into your felt sense of embodiment here and now. So let's just do that for a couple moments. And now let's move into cultivating our one-pointed attention by practicing shamatha or tranquility meditation. We'll take the inhalation and exhalation of our breath as the focal object. So again here, nothing that we need to do save just let our attention rest focused on our breath, but not too tight not too loose. Just feel it move in and out and let your attention rest there without distraction. And when we catch ourselves getting distracted, just gently bring mind back to the in and out of the breath. This practice of transforming is carried out in so many different ways along the Buddhist path. Here we can work with it through the lens of transforming our perspective from one of sides of self-protectionism out of the idea of scarcity or lack to a more expansive space of looking deeply of braving that feeling of stepping into the unknown instead of instantly categorizing our present experience 
in all those tight little conceptual boxes that we have gotten so used to. So for this portion of the practice, let your awareness just drop into your present experience, moment by moment, like a fist unclenching into the open, gentle spaciousness of an upturned hand of welcome. What is there in the open palm of your experience? No need to classify it, or to try to make it last, or to go away. Be with the present moment of your experience, just as it is. Approach it with that gentle curiosity. And see what is there. Whatever lightness has come of this practice, whatever joy, ease, or sense of welcome that you may have, or any other experience that is resonating for you, that speaks of the goodness and openness when we let our mind hearts just open to what is. Share it freely in your mind with all beings so that we may all together transform our minds and perspectives such that we can meet all experience, like coming together with a beloved friend. Thank you so much for everything you do. <laughs>